When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Tomorrow night, the Kennedy Center kicks off the tour of Hadestown, which won eight Tonys on Broadway, including Best Musical and Best Featured Actor for Andre DeShields as Hermes. I spoke with DeShields alongside director Timothy Douglas in 2015 during the arena stage production of August Wilson's King Hedley II, as well as DeShields' memories of originating the role of The Wiz in 1975. Uh, Timothy Douglas. Andre DeShields. I am playing Stool Pigeon in Timothy's production of King Hedley II. Now, Timothy, I mean, we all know what the play is about, but for our listeners who may not know, just explain what this play is about. I'm so bad at this because <laughs> it's about so many things, but uh, the title character, King Hedley II, is a descendant of uh, Hedley I from August Wilson's Seven Guitars. He is at a crossroads in his life, uh, out of prison for two years trying to turn his life around. Family, uh, spirit, um, the reality of living uh, in the Hill District of Pittsburgh in the 1980s, which is uh, not kind to black men or the residents in general. And uh, it's his coming to terms with self and the five other characters surrounding him, all of their self-actualizations come to a head at the play's climax. You actually worked with August, right? Yes. He was an extraordinary man, and he, I, I started with Is because his work um, still is very prominent in um, leading my life lessons in, in, in creativity, but you know, also in day-to-day -day life. Uh, he was a remarkable storyteller. Uh, I had the good of directing the role premiere of uh, the final play, Radio Golf, at Yale Repertory Theater. And uh, during the process, you know, I'd ask him about certain moments and certain scenes, and he would launch into a 30-minute story. And it took me the longest, which were, which were amazing, the stories, but it, it took me a long time to figure out he was actually answering my question. It was up to me to absorb it, consider it, and then determine for myself what the next best approach was, because I was never going to get a pat, direct answer. And, and I think he's doing that for all of us through his plays, um, still. I started um, my association, I guess, as a young acting student at Yale Drama School. Uh, when I began my studies, he was just coming onto the scene with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which premiered at Yale Rep, and I had the good fortune understudying on the original production, as well as understudy on the original Turner's Come and Gone. So this has been a long relationship. All right. Well, let's let Andre get in here a little bit. Andre, thanks for joining us. I My pleasure. From The Wiz. 40th anniversary, yes. Of the play, not the movie. Of the musical, yes. Yeah. Is there a movie called The Wiz? <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can never tell when you're kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know about the film called The Wiz. But I created the role of The Wiz in the Broadway musical, which opened on Broadway on January 5th, 1975. Wow. I'm going to share a memory, and I'm going to segue into Headley. Perfect. The memory I'm sharing, because this gentleman is no longer with us, is the director and costume designer of The Wiz, Jeffrey Holder. 
who transitioned on December 5th, 2014. He's one of the few mentors that I've had in this industry where I have performed. The segue is I want to make a shout out to Timothy Douglas, who not only is my doctor in King Hedley II, but he is my current mentor. Why? Because in 1996, when I was first aware of the August Wilson Manifesto called The Ground on Which I Stand, I took it as a personal challenge. Not only did I grow up in Baltimore, Maryland, in the same kind of conditions that he was describing in Pittsburgh, but Wilson said, quite bluntly, black actors should not be crossing over into multicultural, inclusive, ethnically diverse, non-traditional, and or white theater. Really? Really. And I thought the poster boy of non-traditional yeah, casting, of right? That was 1996. It wasn't until 2014 that I got an invitation to enter the world of August Wilson through this good man sitting to my left, Timothy Douglas. So now I've been transported back to my informative years in Baltimore in this play called King Hedley II. And what it is, is a brutal reminder of the relationships that cause us to hurt ourselves, hurt the people that we love, all in an attempt to embrace and grow one another. This is a truly um, effective way to understand the American society. In order to understand the American society, you have to see it through the prism of colored people, Negroes, black people, African Americans, and how they live in the inner city and with all of the same dreams and loss and romances. Just anecdotically, yeah, yeah, I have right. to complete the mentoring circle sure. because in April of 1975, I attended my very first uh, Broadway production of The Wiz. Oh, wow. Okay. And when Andre Shields burst onto that stage, uh, I, th I do believe that was the seed of my lifelong commitment uh, in the theater being planted. And uh, so, to, you know, have this full circle to receive the honor that uh, that I'm in a mentoring position of a mentor of mine. And in the play, King Hedley is the mentoring figure. Let's go back into a little more of what you were saying about. So you grew up in Baltimore, but you find things within this Pittsburgh-based that you can grab onto. What similarity? I know they're different towns, but... They are geographically it. different in terms of the energy and the life force, people are mirror images of one another. Nice. Urban renewal came through and destroyed whatever cultural spine that Baltimore had. Right. And then the ghetto, the slums, if you will, became a third world country. So there was crime, drugs, there was desperation. There was a kind of brutal interaction when your life is pulsed and you continue to live with no roots, that affects you 
physically, emotionally, intellectually. It causes you to resent the very people from whom you used to go for love because you can't get to the oppressor. So when you strike out, you are striking the person closest to you. That is not unique to Pittsburgh. It's not unique to Baltimore. It's all of the mid-Atlantic cities. We had a conversation in the car over here when I was growing in Baltimore, Washington, D.C. was called Chocolate City Vanilla Suburbs. <laughs> now it's flip-flop, and the people experience it most at the level which is closest to having nothing are the people we call African-Americans, which is why I reiterate, if you want to know American history, see it through the eyes of a black American. And Tim, talk a little bit about um, why theater, why art can it expose that to a wider audience. You might come to arena stage and, and the cookie gets mixed up and, and everybody's experiencing it together, you know? So explain how, how art, how theater, why it's important to get people to see other perspectives. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we are at our core uh, vibrational beings, no matter what our human uh, background and given circumstances are. And the theater is the place, the arena, where we uh, come to to resonate with one another. One of my favorite images that I offer actors um, often is of the tuning fork, that if I strike a tuning fork, if there's a stringed instrument anywhere in its vicinity, it'll start vibrating and playing the exact same note, and I think that's how we are, are wired as well. And so uh, no matter where we're coming from to the arena of theater, if the company of actors are vibrating accurately or harmoniously or authentically, it cannot be resisted in the way that truth cannot be resisted once, it's, once one is exposed to it. You can fight, you right. can try, but uh, you know, everything pulls to the center of that vi vibration. And that combined with uh, Andre's uh, brilliant, insightful thesis about American history most accurately told through the lens of African Americans, it's quite explosive. Um, August was, a, 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 I'll call him perfect channel, for aligning a very specific, personally uh, uh, relevant cultural story to he, uh, what he's often referred to as being universal. Mm -hmm. But he is being quite specific. And it's in that arena of humans coming together to vibrate with and upon one another that creates that universality and, dare I say, hope. Oh, you're, the future. Allowed, you're allowed to say hope. Absolutely. <clears throat> Can I get a piece of that? Absolutely. It's been my experience that there are only two cathedrals of communication. One is called the church or temple, and the other is called the theater. There's no other example of strangers coming together right. in a dark environment mm -hmm. for purposes of worship, yeah. communication, communion, and in many situations, you leave either the church or the theater knowing your neighbor who was a stranger at the beginning of the experience in a much deeper way than you did. We go to both of these cathedrals 
Now, we don't articulate it this way any longer, but the reason we go to these cathedrals is to have a question answered, to have a problem solved, to have a crisis resolved, to have a burden lifted, to have a yoke broken. That's why we go. We call it entertainment now. But if you do a deep investigation into the word entertainment, it has Indo-European beginnings. Part of it means to hold. That's the second part. And the first part means to change. So we performers have the responsibility of holding your attention until we have changed your consciousness. That's exactly what August Wilson is doing in all the pieces of his canon, but particularly, I believe, in King Hedley II, because it is, I think, the most contemporary, the most modern of all of his pieces, including Radio Golf. It takes place in the 80s. Radio Golf takes place in the 90s. Mm-hmm. But in terms of how the American culture pivots, mm-hmm. it was the decade of the 80s yeah. that things came crashing, mm-hmm. imploding, and then exploding again. Wow. Yeah. Um, boy, there's so many things I want to add. Just yes. to go one step deeper, uh, uh, I love your uh, thesis, Andre, and both theater and um you know, the attendants of the church share their roots, I'm sorry, I don't remember if it's Latin or Greek, of Thea. And the third one that we sh- that it sh- it's shared with is therapy, you know, another place where we go to an altar, if you will, you know, to confront uh, ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in theater and, and the church, it's with the community, but therapy, it's the self, and not only is it to have questions answered, but for me, actually, it's more about having answers questioned. Um, oh, that that yes. is the, the, the most effective function of the theater for me. And that King Headley doing it n- now in D.C., in America, uh, in the age of Obama, it's as if there were secret chambers inside this play, King Headley II, that couldn't be heard when it was premiered. But now we're listening together. There are lines in the play that seem to speak directly to headlines of the last six months. Do you want um, to share a couple of those? Well, uh, the hyper-American awareness of black men being gunned down in the street by white cops, that the lens that has been focused on that so, so prominently in the last few months. You know, August was predicting that it would get to this level. Um, um, he was already seeing it, obviously, but sure. it keeps resonating out in a way that you drop a uh, pebble into still water, and on the surface it just keeps rippling out and rippling yeah. out. And the play is so dense in its origins and these many years later with this collective consciousness about a very splintered understanding of race in America, the play actually speaks to every one of those splinters and hopefully brings it back to a center to be able to be contemplated, not solved yet, but contemplated. Stool Pigeon, that's the character I play. And Timothy had said before that uh, Stool Pigeon represents the spiritual connection in King Headley. Because of that, you can see Stool Pigeon as a kind of oracle, a kind of 
Tiresias. Mm-hmm. He quotes from the Bible during the play. One of the quotes he does not use, but because of my research has um, resonated for me, is from Ephesians uh, 6.13, I think it is. And I'm going to paraphrase it, but it goes like this. Um, Put on the full armor of God. We are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Now, I think Timothy was alluding to this in his comment just prior. And I know that August Wilson is dealing with this. And the idea is so much of our lives are spent in mortal combat when indeed the real battle is about ideas, Mm -hmm. about principles, about moral codes, about what it is you're going to do with this brief episode that you have on the planet Earth. Are you going to use it as your lover or are you going to trash it? Are you going to are you going to treat it with respect for seven generations for now? Or are you going to rape it and just use it for your own purposes? Right. Right. That, just as Shakespeare did in his plays, that gets reflected on the interior individual. We are drunk now with exterior mm-hmm. happenings. And we have, to the detriment of world culture, we have avoided the inner athlete. Mm-hmm. I love this idea of sort of the, the past as prologue type thing. You know, that there is no past, there's no present, no future. That August Wilson is writing lines to this play, somehow putting keys to the future that we can only understand in our current situation that he couldn't have totally predicted, but that somehow there's like this collective consciousness being wrestled with over time. Yeah, but what do we say? The teacher doesn't appear until the student is ready. Right. And vice versa. It's true. He was teaching a while ago. He was now teaching. The, now the teaching. students are ready. Yeah. And look at this. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't mean to be terribly esoteric about this, but... Oh, you can't help yourself. We, I, right. <laughs> <laughs> when his work was done, it's as if he dusted his hands off and said, I'm checking out of here. Yeah. I've done what I came to do. Now, you figure it you out. You guys figure it out. Over over decades. Yeah, but he, that was quite literal. He used. I thought he was joking. He and Ben Mordecai, who produced all the first versions of the major productions, they were great, great friends. It came together through the work, and they, you know, the question has come: What are you going to do after all ten plays are done? And they used to go, "Yeah, we're out. We're checking. Yeah. That's it." And it, ha- it had. They both died within a few months of each other after the final, work, the premiere of uh, Radio Golf. Right. The work was done. Yeah. And that is the work, that is the life of all avatars. My work is finished. See ya. Exactly. And how long that resonates is is, is the legacy. Um, If entertainment is to hold into change, which is what this entertainment page, when you guys click entertainment page, we're going to hold and change you. Like, that's the mission. Yeah, well, may I interrupt you just for a moment? Yeah, go ahead. Because I agree with you, that's the mission. But here's the covenant. Here's the covenant that we make with people who come into the cathedral. The covenant is this. Join us on this journey. Our intention is to change you. However, 
Our promise is that we won't harm you. I like that. But yes, yeah, so if it's if it's to hold and to change, how did sitting watching him originally, um, I guess you said it was in The Wiz, mm-hmm. um, how did he hold you during that performance? And how were you changed walking out? You know, I can talk about that just looking back. At the time, it was such a complete uh, experience. But whether it's by design, which I'm going to assume that it is, or just... Uh, a divine uh, coming together there was no it was pure it was truth with a capital T it was channeling in its purest uh, most effective form there was no fat there was nothing there was no Andre present that that he completely gave himself over to mm-hmm. what the the tuning fork with a capital T wanted to mm-hmm. uh message through him to me and, and, and all of us there and I and I it's the same great tuning fork that August was writing from and August is so often compared to Shakespeare uh, and I uh, am c- certain that he'll have the same endurance um, if humans survive um, <laughs> and even if we don't um, so th- that it was just such a pu- such a pure expression went directly to my soul, bypassing my intellect completely. I didn't have time mm. to think about the impact of, of, at the time I thought it was the truth of this man, but I realized it was a greater truth moving through him and that we all have that capacity. Sure. And, um, and that is another um, uh, message either directly delivered or hopefully to be experienced when an audience comes to experience what we've put together. As it's reversed now, now he's almost mentoring you in terms of the performance. Um, how has he held and changed you as an artist, as a human being? In this industry, most of us think that the most difficult thing to do is to get a gig, to get a job. And it is indeed difficult. However, more difficult than that is changing how the industry perceives you. Because we like to put people in niches. Once we discover what it is that you do, you're in that box for the rest of your career, for the rest of your life. It is a constant game of auditioning, repackaging yourself, reinventing yourself, cosmetics, etc. Timothy came to me and said, you don't have to audition. You don't have to repackage yourself. I want you to inhabit this character. That was holding me. Now that we're in the process, he is changing me because he is demanding that I lose all the artifices that has made me mm-hmm. a man with a national profile. Right. I want you, but I don't want the crap. I did not use those. Words. No, he didn't use the term. He didn't use the term crap. But I wanted, I wanted, I want to make this uh, digestible for the people who who sure. are listening. Sure. Right. I want you, essentially, as you were brought into the world, naked, and together we will discover the attire, the dress, the accoutrement that we need to tell this story. That in itself is, what's the word? A baptism. Which brings us back full circle to the, the theater and the cathedral uh, analogy earlier. Thanks so much for coming out. Oh, my pleasure. Um, I loved hearing how 
you have held and changed each other, how entertainment can hold and change us, and how August is still holding and changing all of us, hopefully for a long time to come. Um, thanks, gentlemen. Oh, thank you. While the Shields won a Tony as Hermes on Broadway, another Tony winner, Levi Kreis, inherits the role at the Kennedy Center tomorrow. Levi Kreis, I am playing the role of Hermes in Hades Town Tour. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here, Jason. Thanks for having me. All right. Um, so this is really cool. A huge Tony winning show. Um, I got. I guess it won like eight Tonys on Broadway, including Best Musical. I even, I even won a Grammy too for the album. But um, uh, when did you first discover it? Um, you know, were you were you a fan before you you hooked on with this thing? I did have the opportunity to see the show before I had the opportunity to see the creative team. And it, and I, first of all, I, I'm a fan of genres of music where you have a singer-songwriter who has envisioned something greater for their own music. And so Anais was inspiring to me. And I wanted to see Hadestown because of that, also being a singer-songwriter for, for many years and, and having my own music in, in TV and film. And I, I've just kind of looked up to her in that way. So I wanted to see Hadestown. And when I saw it, it was actually the role of Hermes that I asked myself, I'm like, oh man, it'd be so cool to see what I might be able to, to bring to the table with that role, having no idea that I would have the opportunity to be seen for it and let alone here I am doing it. So I'm personally, it's, um, it's really exciting for me. Yeah, that's really cool. And the exact role you were watching on stage and envisioning playing, you got to do it here on the tour. That's really cool. Um, well, you and I are, I'm, I'm assuming our listeners know what it's about, Let's, but let's back up. And, and if they, I'm sure there's a lot of people that maybe don't uh, explain the general premise, you know, the, the two um, mythic tales that sort of intertwine here. Well, it's first of all, I think that there is a, a core set of values that permeate the story in and of itself. So I love to lay the foundation there first. Sure. Uh this story is uh, celebrates the power of community and equity and diversity and inclusion. And as someone who's been a part of the LGBTQ uh, uh, movement, it's a really welcoming environment for me to do that. But the story itself is a love tale. Um, it is a story of young lovers, Orvis and Eurydice, and, uh, and, and that of King Hades and his wife Persephone. Uh, it's... Um, it is a song that can change the world, you know, uh, I, I, and and we are we become so invested in the journey of Orpheus and 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 Hermes trying to bring about this beautiful tale that can put the world back into tune. And I think that it's the beautiful poetic way of of, of sort of foreshadowing like, or uh, speaking to what we're dealing with in our own world right now, um, which I think what makes it so relevant. To watch and 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 they and you know Rachel and and Anais have taken a wonderful opportunities to to build that through line between what we're seeing unfold on stage and the need for this song to bring balance back into the world, and what's go what we're going through now. So so uh, I, I keep uncovering all these moments in the show that are like really relevant to what we're all going through as a society, and I think that that is like the best promise I can give anybody to come and see the show that not only are they going to see this incredibly gorgeous score and this beautiful story um, based on uh, the, you know, the, the Greek mythology, of, um, a very original take on, on Orpheus and, and Eurydice, but, but they're also, there's a lot of things that are going to hit home and inspire them personally. Right. Cool. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned there's a lot of moments throughout the night that um, remind you of, things that are going on today, relevant stuff. Do you have, do you have uh, any specific examples or that, you know, I could maybe pull out as like a, a highlight of, of something, something that speaks to directly to today? 
Um, there, there is a lot of conversation in in the score about climate change uh, and speaking. Uh, what the audience is going to take away is going to be where their own where their own focus is. I, I can speak to how it is has um, how it had spoken to me um, as far as spending that hour and a half talking about the balance of above and below and all of that stuff that we talk about from the Greek mythology, but just the simple need to understand our responsibility for this planet um, has been the thing that's hit home for me personally, mostly. Gotcha. Well, you mentioned, um, you know, Anais as the singer songwriter. Um, remind us some of the, some of the, um, you know, the, the, the um, numbers that are going to be here, the musical numbers. Um, do you have any um, that any favorites night in night out that either you get to perform or even, you know, even just sort of watching your co-stars and, you know, watching in the wings that every night you're like, Oh, wow. I can't believe I'm, I'm, I'm right here front row center for this song. Yeah, of course, Jason. Um, you know, I, I, I love that there is this new Orleans flavor to every to, to so much of this score even though it's pretty genre bending it's it, it or genre defying it in, in that sense but but i you know maybe i'm just partial to the fact that i come from the south and i know those southern influences so well but the songs that hermes get to do that really lean into that new orleans vibe um is absolutely a hoot for me i, I have uh, it is a party every time i get to just like bite down on one of those bluesy scales it's just so much fun but i think uh the things that that i that really suck me in are are those moments that i have the opportunity to to sort of be with Orpheus and inspire him and say, look, the, you have been given a gift. You need to use your voice. Your voice matters. Your voice makes a difference. And we need it. We need your voice to bring the world back into tune. Ah, you know what? That is a message that is inspiring to me as a community. We don't have to feel like what we do is perfect or ready for the world in order for us to use our voice contribute it because the world's not a complete place if we don't have your take on it if we don't have your voice on it and 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 when i get the opportunity and as as hermes to sort of try to to push orpheus to trust that um it, it's just it's just a moment on stage that uh, that that reminds me of a greater commitment to encourage everyone to find their voice and to use it boldly no matter how imperfect we think that it is because it makes a difference for sure. Now you're, um, you know, you're stepping into some pretty big shoes here. Um, you know, oh, Broadway was originated. Telling me, <laughs> Andre De Shields won a Tony for this, and of course, he was the original. You know, the original, the Wiz on Broadway, and I, you know, I've spoken yes. with him. I, he, was, he was, he's just such a fascinating guy. He came to DC for what was it? I think Arena Stage was doing like. Uh, what's it august wilson i think it was king headley but anyway yeah. yeah he's such a fascinating guy and we've we've spoken many times about projects and stuff but man like talk about just his his genius originating that role um but then you know is it intimidating at all or, or are you kind of like just like you know what i'm gonna make it my own i'm you know i'm just gonna do my own thing oh jason first of all i have to say what a lovely human being i had the opportunity to see uh to meet andre uh in new york city albeit socially distanced um but but he was so warm and welcoming as the whole hadestown family is um and and andre what he has done with that role is is by far stunning 
because he, as a human being, as an actor also, is stunning. Um, prior to Andre, Chris Sullivan from uh, This Is Us played it. Prior to Another him, great guy. <laughs> another great guy. There's been, uh, there was someone, someone else who had played, I think maybe a couple other people. So, so like- Wait, Sullivan was off Broadway, right? Yes, of right, course. Right. Yeah, yes, for sure. Um, um, uh, but the thing is, the creative team has always been really open to to bringing uh, different takes on the roles, and it's not just my role for this tour. There's a there, you know, Eurydice's fresh and new, and and Orpheus is fresh and new, and, and and the way that they've assembled this team for the tour makes it like you're seeing the show for the first time. I got to tell you, because we're all very different from the original cast, from the Broadway cast, but we all have our own thing to give, and you know, I relate to. It's fun being on this side of the table because I originated the role of Jerry Lee Lewis in Million Dollar Quartet and that won me a Tony Award and I've seen Jerry uh, Jerry Lee's after me come and recreate what I created for Broadway and it's so different, so fun being on the other side of that and yeah, it is kind of intimidating Jason because he's, you know, because Andre is the boss, <laughs> but um I have to bring my own thing, you know. I I I I uh, I have to be committed to to finding an, an original voice for myself with this role. Uh, the creative team has been really supportive for that, so I'm really excited to get it on its feet and 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 let other people see how we as a cast, being so unique from the Broadway cast, have come together and recreated this. We'll we'll double back to Hadestown, Hadestown in a second, but how exciting was it to sit down in the audience and hear your name called on Tony night? I mean, we just had the Tonys the other day, but um, when when you watch yeah. the shows, is it nowadays that brings bring you back to that moment where you're like, wow, I'm so lucky that I got to be a part of that and actually get my name called. <laughs> It, it, it was it was a long journey though, Jason. It, I started workshopping Million Dollar Quartet in two thousand and four, for a thirty dollar coffee bean and tea leaf gift card, <laughs> <laughs> and there were many workshops prior, and I contributed to the musical arrangements of it. I obviously were was there from the very beginning to help sort of craft the book and be a part of that. So it was a long labor of love. I think by the time we actually got to Broadway. I, you know, I'm, I am, I'm, everybody knows if you know me, if you work with me, I do not want to hear interviews. I don't want to hear reviews. I don't want to hear predictions. I don't want the, I don't want the voice and media affecting my performance. And I had no idea that people had been predicting that that would happen. It was a complete surprise to me because I had just managed to stay in my own little bubble, which I like. So yeah, it was there was genuine, genuine shock there. I I, I think especially it being my Broadway debut, um, and and to this day it just it makes me just it makes me proud of the hard work, you know, and and uh, having that opportunity to to fit into a role that I feel it was so tailor made for me, and I feel like there's parts of that with Hermes as well. To take it back to Hades Town, there there's something really unique that speaks to my sensibilities as someone who is a showman and Southern and and understands this world that uh, Anais has created musically. Um, that's why I had to jump at the chance at this role. Love it. Um, and one more quick one on your career before we get back to the show. Um, didn't you also get the, a, a chance to play Roger in in Rent, the national tour of Rent? 
Jason, that was my very first job. <laughs> my very first job. I, 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 you know, I had spent most of my life. Uh, I mean, uh, as a singer-songwriter, featured on multiple primetime television shows, and I was in LA. And I decided to go to a cattle call because I thought that this was interesting. I'd never heard of this thing called rent, and so I just got to LA. No headshot, no resume, no problem. Let's get in line. 169th in line. I'm just fresh out of Tennessee. Just friendly wanting to talk to everybody line which you know that's very that's you know actors getting ready to audition are not necessarily there to be social <laughs> and three callbacks later they called me for the role of roger in the the broadway national tour of rent and it was it was scary as hell um but it was the thing that actually made me run back home and say holy sh i have my i i i have my i have i found my calling and so i just immersed myself in some of the best um some of the best instructors and just really fell in love with the craft and from then on i've been on stage wow you know, so you mentioned that you grew up in tennessee whereabouts Outside of Knoxville, Tennessee, some people might know a little town called Oak Ridge, okay. Tennessee. Um, yeah, like just a stone's throw from Dollywood. <laughs> I had to ask because uh, my wife and I, we on our honeymoon, we did a we drove all through the Smoky Mountains and you know stayed in Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge and all that. So whenever I see that pop up, I was like, hey, I got I got to ask him about that. Yeah, that's um, the water I grew up drinking. Nice. Well, it paid yeah. off. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> it got you all the way to the National Tour of Hadestown. Let's bring it back around to that. You mentioned, you know, your sure. your innovative director. Um, of course, she did Natasha Pierre in the Great Comet of 1812. But um, how does uh, tell us if our listeners come to the Kennedy Center and see this, what do we see? You know, how, how does she visualize it on stage? What are we going to see on stage? Because I'm a radio, you know, this is a radio show. So paint me a visual picture here. What, sure. what do we see in creating the underworld visually? <laughs> First of all, I just I, I this and this comes from, hey, Jason, we're not we're doing an interview. And that's what I'm saying. This, this comes from a very, very genuine place when I tell you sure. that Rachel Chavkin is stunning to work with like i i i believe no matter how much experience you have you can always soak up and learn and i have literally seen her i, I have been a sponge around her and as it relates to the show just seeing the, the the poetry and the attention to nuance and detail that she brings to life and she leads with the most loving yet efficient way uh, it, it it really does attest to the community of support that is built around Hadestown so as far as the vision on stage I mean there is a poetry um I, I encourage the audience to notice every nuance and every detail because there's nothing about this show that isn't thoroughly thought through and intentional and gorgeous um I think that is the thing I walk away with there is nothing about this show that isn't held with the the greatest of respect and 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 uh and nuance um and it shows it really shows in the show awesome well we can't wait to see it any anything else we should uh, anything I didn't ask you about that I should ask you about about the show <laughs> no I would just encourage everyone I, I I'm so excited that we get to bring this to the country we're going to be the first time that a lot of people see this gorgeous show and I'm so proud to be a part of it and I just encourage everyone this is this is a no-brainer come see this incredible eight-time Tony winning musical it's um it is definitely worth 
uh, an evening in the theater and much more. You'll walk away being impacted for life. Awesome. Again, it's Hades Town at the Kennedy Center, October 13th through the 31st. So get your tickets now. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. This was a, a delight talking with you. Yeah, thank you, Jason, so much for your time. Be well. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.